Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota Brookhaven services all makes and models. That could be why we were voted best service department the past two years. Come see why. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota Brookhaven, we deliver. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I'm thrilled that you're joining us, and I appreciate you know so many people joining the show in so many different ways. Some of you are listening across the state of Mississippi on Super Talk TV at Seaspire TV. Some of you are watching after it airs on the radio at YouTube or Facebook or listening on your favorite podcast. Uh, but a lot of people are paying attention on the radio. It's been great to continue to get feedback because I think the more we talk on this show about what it takes to build a great you know, region of Mississippi, and now that the show is actually rolling out on Thursdays to the Jackson and Delta markets, it will go further than that over the over the co- co- the, the coming months. Um, it's great to be able to introduce people from the rest of the state back to coastal Mississippi, but but really, it's really awesome to have the opportunity to, to introduce coastal Mississippi to the rest of the state because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in this together. That is for sure. Hey, we have a very special guest today, but before we get to our guest, I just want to share something I came across. As we enter Lent, Lent uh, now a few days into it, uh, I came across something the other day that said that we're not picky enough about the way we manage our lives. Think about that for just a minute. We're not picky enough. We're not picky enough about our time. We're not picky enough about what we think. We're not picky enough about the way we spend our time or our nutrition or our priorities. Um, I think that's a good point. And what it said was we should be pickier. (laughs) We should be a lot pickier. And maybe during this Lenten time, it's an opportunity to sort of reflect and say, okay, what are our priorities going to be and how are we going to move forward? Personally, it was the clarion call, this notion around need to be pickier that caused me to retire. And I I thank God I had the option. Not everybody obviously has that option, but um, I decided to be, uh, I decided to be pickier. I'd been a CEO for 16 years of my life. My calendar was full. I had very little control over what ended up on my calendar. Um, The strategic priorities that I was involved in often were determined by others, certainly had a voice in it. Um, but it's, you know, it's not health. It's not healthy. And one thing that I'm, I've mentioned many times, I've been able to find balance. The thing that always brought it back home for me was number one, I kept my family number one, and I never lost sight of the community. But I have brought sort of that that desire, that 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 uh, passion into retirement, which is one of the reasons that I'm doing this show. It's a it's a great opportunity to be able to do this. Hey, by the way, I uh, also ran across something. It was a uh, it was someone sitting there thinking, and it said, "Me figuring out." A way to tell my boss that I don't want to work anymore, but I still want to get paid. See, how many people literally think that way? Um, I'm not talking to you, but it, but if you do think that way, maybe listening to the show and learning what it takes to be successful, learning from our guests, learning how important it is for us to come together and burn the midnight oil for our community, uh, maybe you'll be inspired by that and not actually think that way. Okay, so now let's shift gears. I, I'm so thrilled today to have Lauren St. Pay, who's the CEO of Singing River Health Systems, 
And uh, someone, I know his family extremely well, so it's really quite amazing that he and I have not literally crossed paths before, but I think we both would say we sort of know each other because we've heard about each other for a very, very long time. But anyway, without any further ado, let me welcome my friend Lauren St. Pay to the Ricky Matthews Show. How you doing, Lauren? I'm doing great, Ricky. Thank you so much for having me on. Well, listen, um, you know, as you well know, your dad and I, Jerry St. Pay, the, the former CEO of Ingalls, who in his 80s continues to give back to the community in very significant ways, um, your dad and I are close. And, you know, I, I remember when I was publisher, I certainly remember well after Hurricane Katrina, where he and I spent an awful lot of time together. I always heard from your dad. You know, he, he has this innate ability to take in just massive amounts of information and data. And uh, it, it, I would compare it a little bit to, to, to Haley Barber, the way Haley Barber is able to put everything in their proper files inside their heads. And so when he's able to pay attention in that way, he can read something in the newspaper and it will trigger a thought and he'll send me a text about it. And two years from now, he'll, he'll remember the, the text. But just a, just a really powerful community leader who really understood the role that Ingalls played in our community as an economic engine for the state. But he also understood that he had a very unique uh, responsibility to give to the community. And so even long after retirement, he continues to give back to the community. That has to have been a great inspiration in your life. Oh, absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm one of the fortunate people that have the uh, a luxury of saying that their father is, uh, you know, one of their role models and heroes. Um, you know, obviously, he's been pretty successful in his career. But, you know, the thing that's, uh, you know, kind of sets him apart is he genuinely loves people and he loves this community. And he, he often says that he was uh, wasn't born in Mississippi, but he got here as quickly as he could. Um, but it, he has a true passion for, uh, you know, Mississippi and the Gulf Coast in general and, uh, you know, couldn't ask to have learned so much from a um, more talented uh, individual. So uh, certainly blessed to have him in my life. Yeah, we share a lot of a lot of commonalities in our life. I mean, obviously, I went over to New Orleans to be the president of NOLA Neaton Media Group, the publisher of the Times Picayune and NOLA.com. And your dad grew up in, in New Orleans and, w and was literally a photojournalist, which is what ultimately brought him to uh, Ingalls. And to watch his ascension in Ingalls, the way he worked his way up and um, and had success, a, a big part of that success really was his ability to connect with, with unions, with, with diverse workforce and all the things that he did. Um, again, you got to have a, you got to be smart to start out with. You got to go into the conversation to have an opportunity to be CEO of Ingalls, smart as hell to start out with. But then when you take that smart and you combine it with the ability to connect with people and care about the community, it's almost like the perfect formula for success, isn't it? It is. And again, that's that again, I think that sets him apart. Uh, you know, he's never forgot where he came from and he really genuinely likes people. The the everyone that he works for, he always put them ahead of himself and he continues to do that, uh, even uh, long after his retirement. So that's uh, still one of his big focuses. Hey, listen, I've uh, I've I've uh, really appreciated the conversations that I've had regarding Singing River Health Systems over the last several years, watching it through this sort of, uh, you know, going through the strategic alternatives, essentially looking for potential new new sellers or new buyers, excuse me, and we'll we'll get up to date, date on that here in just a second. Watching. Uh, how the team has has dealt with what were some pretty significant financial challenges 
that the hospital uh, faced. You were in, in the midst of that. You came up on the financial side of the company. And and then and then also the work that you do in a community. Um, in fact, uh, just last week you had a healthcare summit that was really important. Emma Benoit, who I've had on the show and had many conversations with, who is a uh, suicide um, attempt survivor, has has got a great story to tell and her ability to connect and remind young people about hope. But, you know, on so many cylinders, on so many different dimensions, I've had the opportunity to uh, to chat about the importance of this hospital as an economic engine, as an employer, of course, what it does to increase the quality of health care and the way you guys have strategically thought about the future and the challenges of the future and what the new buyer of the hospital might need to bring to the table. So it's been a it's been a really interesting journey for me. I've learned a lot, and we're going to get into all those things here shortly. But before we do, I just want to I want to go back a little bit in your in in your life. Um, you went to the University of Alabama, and uh, did you know what you wanted to do when you went there? I actually uh, started off as pre-med. I wanted to be a physician. I know uh, you and I have chatted uh, uh, before, and I think that was uh, one of your aspirations as well. But uh, my uh, my first chemistry class uh, pretty much weeded me out of that uh, um, that path. But I always knew I wanted to be a part of uh, you know healthcare in some form or fashion. So I got that degree in um, healthcare management from the University of Alabama. And then you went to University of South Alabama, and you know after having been publisher at the Mobile Press Register, and uh, got got pretty close to the to the former president of, of South Alabama, the work to build a new stadium, to build an incredible campus. You know, for a lot of people, University of South Alabama is out of sight, out of mind, but it is a it is a little economic engine of its own, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I tell you what, I I, I graduated, I uh, got my master's there 25 years ago, so it's come a long way since I uh, I attended. But the school was fantastic, uh, even when I was there 25 years ago. Couldn't ask for a better education from the school. So, Lauren, when I when I think about you, uh, and then I look at what you've been involved in the, in the community. Um, clearly, just like with me, it was built into your DNA that whatever you did, you're going to have to be involved in the community. But is that is that was that just required of you, expected of you? I, I don't think it was expected or required. I think that was probably, again, uh, just uh, being raised by uh, both my mother and my father who uh, genuinely given back over their careers and just instilled that into uh, myself and my sister. So, so hey, so coming back to your time at Singer River Health Systems, you, you, you land there and uh, you've seen a lot of change happen in those 25 years. Um, what was the? Okay, I tell you what. I'm, I'm, I'm going to talk about high points and low points along the way. But we'll we'll uh, we'll pick that up on the other side as we continue our conversation with Lauren St. Pay, the CEO of Singing River Health Systems, and uh, we're going to get a great update about where the the hospital system is today. And you're going to get to know Lauren better as a result of it. So we'll see you back after this break.
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I have my friend Lawrence St. Pei, who's the CEO of Singer River Health Systems. And we're going we're gonna to kind of cover the waterfront as it relates to this health system. And before we get into where I was headed, I'm going to talk to you about in those 25 years, there's been some highs and lows. But uh, overall, I think the health system emerges out of it really positioned to tackle the future. I think you would agree with that. Um, what I want to do, though, real quick, is let people who, you know, in the old days, they might have thought of Singing River as just being the Pascagoula Hospital. But over the years, it's expanded and it's diversified and lots of stuff. And the footprint in coastal Mississippi is pretty significant. So why don't you give people a sense of that footprint? Yeah, so currently, we uh, Pascagoula Hospital is our, our largest hospital. We have an average daily census of about 135. Our Ocean Springs Hospital has an average daily census of about 110. And our newest hospital that we have uh, in, in, in Singer River Goldport about in 2020 has an average daily census of about 55. But our footprint is uh, pretty expansive. We now have uh, 41 outlying clinics uh, across um, uh, multiple counties that we serve and uh, continue to make sure that you know we improve access to, to care but also making sure when we do that you know there's a uh, you know return on investment smart growth not growing just for the sake of growing in of itself hey listen what's interesting along the way you know the, the hospital touches people in different ways but I remember my brother-in-law needed uh, bypass surgery and he he you know he had the ability to go wherever he wanted to go I mean he could have gone to Birmingham or New Orleans or wherever. And he chose Ocean Springs. And the reason he chose Ocean Springs is because you guys have built a really, really strong team there. His experience there was phenomenal to him and his health. He had a great outcome, and he's doing really well today. But, you know, you don't think of small hospitals like in Ocean Springs, for example, being a leader in something like heart care. But you guys have really, you know, you you said we're going to do that, and you've done it. And that's a great story to tell, isn't it? It is. Uh, our cardiac program is one of our leading service lines, one that we're very proud of and have been for, for many years. We were the first on the Mississippi Gulf Coast to uh, enter into the structural heart program, basically have the ability to go in um, you know, with very minimally invasive technology to replace heart valves. Uh, basically, you had to crack your chest on years past to do that. So we're very, uh, you know, blessed to have outstanding cardiologists, cardiothoracic surgeons, uh, nurses, techs, you name it. We're, uh, you know, very blessed. And that's what makes it all happen. You can have the latest and greatest technology, which we have. But it's literally the team and the caliber of, uh, you know, individuals that, you know, use that technology to make a difference in people's lives. It's a big deal, and it's helpful. It's helpful to coastal Mississippi. You think about the role the hospital system or the healthcare system plays. You know, it's it's got to be part of the economic engine, not just in terms of providing healthcare to people who work in and in, in live in this region, but also just by virtue of the size of your organization and the number of people you employ and whatever. But the the economic impact in our in our community, not just not just Jackson County, is very significant, isn't it? 
Yeah, we have uh, you know 3,695 full-time and part-time employees uh, uh, across our system and obviously uh, earning a, a good wage. Uh, the estimate is about a billion dollar impact on, on our community. So uh, to your point, and again, that's why you know on top of the quality of care that we're providing here uh, to our communities that we serve, uh, the economic impact uh, is very important. And that's why the RFP that we went through uh, uh, recently got so much attention from uh, so many different people. Yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. We'll cover that here shortly. Hey, listen, you joined uh, the Pascagoula Hospital as a programs administrator back in 2014. Um, I wonder if in your wildest imagination, if you thought 25 years later, you'd still be there and also the CEO of the entire health system. I, no, absolutely not. I actually started uh, in the organization in, in in 1999. I started off in the finance department. Um, you know, did that for um, uh, about four years. Had the oppor- uh, opportunity to move into operations, um, and then. Uh, had the opportunity to actually lead our cardiovascular program. So I'm, I'm pretty passionate about that service line. I did that for about eight years. And then in 2014, uh, became the uh, the administrator of the hospital, as well as all of the ambulatory uh, services throughout the system. Yeah, so, yes, good. Th- I did not think I was going to be the CEO there. Yeah, th- thanks for reminding me that 1999 for sure is when you joined. You know, listen, uh, that financial background that you built, uh, a lot of it exper- experiential. I mean, coming into the hospital and really understanding it's complicated. It's very complicated. There, The payments come from all kinds of places, and in some cases, payments don't come at all. But managing a hospital in that environment, and then you you kind of reached a a point at the hospital where there were some significant financial challenges, um, that made you a better CEO to have gone through that, didn't it? Uh, there, there's no question. I think that, uh, you know, having gone through, uh, you know, an $88 million um, accounts receivable audit, which was the, you know, largest in healthcare at that particular point in time, not sure if anybody's eclipsed us. I uh, hope they have not. But, um, you know, certainly I think it helped us. Um, get some things in, in line that needed to happen that, you know, I think others faced you know, kind of further down the road. I think it helped us for the pandemic and making sure that we were as efficient as possible. But, uh, you know, you can you can get all the education in the world that, uh, that that's out there, but there's nothing like a on-the-job a learning experience like that. You know, it's one of those, you know, uh, hindsight, it was outstanding at the particular point in time. Not certainly, I, I don't know if I wanted to go through that, but again, it was a, a very good learning experience, no doubt. Well, you, when, you, when you came out the other side of that, though, um, it was a unique. This is a very unique hospital in that it is, it is, it was owned by the community. You know, the board of supervisors had a role. Uh, you have a board of trustees. Um, a lot of trial and tribulations, but at the end of the day, with that experience, and with uh, some smart decisions along the way, the hospital sort of repositioned itself. But then, you know, you, I, you probably knew early on. And probably weren't talking about it publicly, but you knew early on that with the changes in healthcare, we were going to find ourselves in a position, at least the hospital was going to find itself in a position where it would not be able to address the challenges of the future if it didn't have more scale connected with it. And um, and ultimately, the trustees made a good decision. The board of supervisors did as well. And you started to seek strategic, you know, strategic alternatives. You weren't surprised to be in that position, were you? 
No, we were not. I mean, we've been thinking about, uh, you know, uh, partnering uh, with a larger institution to get some economies of scale two years uh, prior to uh, the ultimate RFP that went out. So, no, it's, uh, you know, healthcare is challenging and, you know, the the larger you are, it helps you, you know, weather storms, uh, you know, like pandemics and other things uh, to a greater degree. Yeah, it's uh, to speak of the pandemic, incidentally, um, you guys, while there were many, many challenges, I actually had the opportunity to come over there and spend some time with your team and see the impact on the hospital system is just absolutely dramatic. But you still came out of it fairly well financially. And a lot of hospitals couldn't make that statement, but but you guys could, couldn't you? We we did, and again, uh, you know, Ricky, that's a testament to the entire team. I mean, you know, the uh, the challenges from the frontline staff up to the you know uh, uh, mid level managers. I mean, the the work that they did was something uh, that that's you know I'll never forget. Um, you know, anytime you go through a challenging situation, there's a uh, you know silver linings, and you know quality of care literally was the number one focus throughout that entire process. Uh, finance was uh, on the back burner at that particular point in time, and I think that goes to um, that's you know for every single healthcare system across the country and frankly across the world. But you know you got to put patients first, and could not have asked anything better from our team with regards to the efforts they put into that. So when you come out, you come out on the other side of the pandemic and you start to think about the incredible capital requirements that to build, because you have innovation that's happening, uh, all kinds of equipment that has to be updated. I mean, you had to spend, I don't know, tens, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know what the actual number is, but the investments required to keep a hospital system like Singing River Health Systems on the cutting edge it is very significant, isn't it? It is. I mean, our, our typical, uh, you know, uh, capital budgets uh, somewhere uh, around 20 million. So, you know, we've got to make sure that we, you know, again, we are a not for profit health system um, and, you know, could not would not want to be a part of anything else, to be honest with you. And the, the, the suitors that we were looking for from an RFP standpoint were also in the not for profit, uh, you know, status. But, you know, just because you're a not for profit health system does not need, mean you don't have to have a bottom line because you've got to continue to reinvest in the capital, make sure you have the cutting edge technology that you need. Um, but you also have to reinvest in your people. Yeah. All right. And so, you know, again, we, we, we do have the luxury. We don't have to send our dollars off to Florida or, you know, Nashville or anywhere else to shareholders. We get to reinvest that back into um, our organization, our people and ultimately serving our community. So, uh, you know, again, as a testament to the team that we're able to continue to do that. So the RFP process went forward over the course of uh, many, many months. And you you ultimately, well, I tell you what we'll do. We're at the end of the segment. You can kind of update people about where we are as it relates to all that. And then we'll talk about some of the expansion opportunities you guys are involved in going forward. Just going to really, I think, solidify you even as a better healthcare provider in coastal Mississippi. We'll see you after this break as we continue our conversation with Lauren St. Pay, the CEO of Singing River Health Systems. We'll see you after this. Now, 
back to more of the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. And I have Lauren St. Pay, the CEO of Singing River Health Systems, with us. And we've really told an interesting story about his ascension in this company. Um, and then, you know, having tremendous responsibilities on the financial side to work the hospital system through some very difficult financial times. And then this whole notion of seeking strategic alternatives, learning a lot about themselves in the process, coming out on the other side, realizing that we're probably better off as a standalone system, and that's where the system is today, and they've got good leadership, not just in in Lauren, of course, but a great team, many of whom I know, and I've had the opportunity to have on the show, and they're all so dedicated to what's happening. Hey, two other major points I want to mention. Uh, First of all, uh, GI, gastrointestinal, is an area you guys want to expand in. And then I want to then close with cyber attacks and what you've had to do to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, so on, on the on the again going back to one of our growth strategies, uh, we realized that you know we uh, we had some opportunities to improve uh, workflow um, in our GI uh, capabilities over at Singing River Goldport. So we've actually uh, just actually next week. We'll have the ribbon cutting. It's actually already opened, uh, but we're uh, we've got a uh, brand new five uh, room endo suite. It's got 17 pre-op and post-op bays uh, that will dramatically help us improve. Uh, you know the workflow going through there. That opened on 117, uh, uh, and we've already done over 200 cases. Uh, through that. So again, uh, very busy. Uh, once it's uh, you know completely uh, up and staffed, we'll be able to do up to 40 a day. So it's going to be a, a dramatic uh, improvement with our workflow and ultimately being able to take care of the community uh, with regards to GI services over there in Gulfport. Hey, with some of the collaborations you guys had with Auctioner, will they continue? Oh well, so again, we uh, we still uh, have conversations with uh, all of the healthcare industry uh, uh, systems across the uh, you know state of Mississippi and over into Louisiana. Uh, to be honest with you, we uh, we're working uh, closely with Memorial and other hospitals in Mississippi to get some legislation across. So uh, you know uh, there is a there is enough business uh, for everybody, and the the more we work together to ultimately care for the community, the better off we're all going to be. Cyber attacks. Um, I mentioned before we came back into this segment that we had to deal with one or two or three of those when I was in my pr- uh, prior world. But man, that can that can be a tough thing to respond to, can it? Oh, it's a problem. It's that's up there with regards to one of the most challenging uh, things that I've dealt with uh, uh, in my career. Um, so on August seventeenth, um, it was a Saturday. I got a phone call at uh, a little before. Uh, uh, 6 a.m. Uh, from our administrator on call and telling me that all of the systems across, uh, all of our computer systems across the system were down, telecommunication systems were down. So uh, we immediately went into downtime procedures. And what that means, Ricky, is basically uh, taking care of patients on paper. So the time they came in the door to the time they were discharged, uh, they they would get a folder. And sometimes it would be, you know, this thick uh, with paper. And uh, that Anytime you go through a challenging situation, uh, there's silver linings, and I will tell you, could not have been happier uh, with the the team, the entire team, putting patients first with every single decision that was made. Uh, quality of care never checked up. Uh, we you know throughout that process, we were down for 13 days. All right, and so um, I actually ha- actually had an opportunity to speak to a CEO that was hit by the same terrorist group, and that's exactly what these are. These are terrorists. Um, and they were um, they when I talked to her, they were down for five weeks. 
Um, so that's a testament again to our IT team getting us back up in 13 days. But just because you're, you know, we were back up on electronic medical records in 13 days, we had to take all of those documents that were in the folder implement those back into um, Epic so we could ultimately put out bills. Um, so we had no cash coming in the door for uh, well over uh, a month. And so um, that's uh, it, it just to put that into perspective. I mean, it takes us uh, it costs about one point five million dollars uh, a day to run this operation. Uh, we were getting, you know, a little bit north of that in per day uh, from a cash standpoint. And at the lowest point, we had twenty two thousand dollars coming in the door. So it is a significant financial impact. Um, and, you know, again, this is not unique to healthcare. This is, uh, you know, th these people, as long as they're getting paydays at the end of this, they're going to continue. Fortunately, we were in a situation we did not pay a ransom. Um, and, you know, again, it's a sure testament to our IT team and actually the entire team taking care of patients through this process, but we were able to get back up and operational. Very challenging situation. Hey, well, listen, man, one of the things I came to appreciate as a CEO uh, when I would come into a new company that we were involved in, I would I would get to know the HR director really well, and I'd get to know the IT director really well. Um, because if you had those two on your team, I mean they they know a lot. They know they know they know how the layout of the system, and they know the people. And um, you know you can't put enough emphasis on how important your IT team is to you, can you? No, absolutely. And again, they have made tremendous uh, strides since that event. Again, first of all, getting us back up. But, you know, we have implemented uh, multiple different additional security measures already, and we'll continue to do that. You got to continue to adapt and evolve because, again, uh, uh, these terrorists are pretty smart. Um, they yeah. know how to, how to figure it out. Lauren, it's been a pleasure to spend some time with you. I look, I look forward to visiting again soon. Um, glad you guys landed where you landed. And, uh, you know, good luck to you and your team as you continue to build a strong hospital system for Coastal Mississippi. Hey, thank you very much. I really appreciate you having me on, Ricky. It's been, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. I can see why your dad's so proud of you. Have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow. Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show from the Citizens Bank Studio. I have uh, Lauren St. Pay, someone I love his family. His dad is what I would refer to Jerry St. Pay as a stalwart leader in coastal Mississippi, someone I really enjoyed working next to. So no big surprise that that one of Jerry's uh, kids, in this case Lauren, it becomes the CEO of one of the most important healthcare systems in coastal Mississippi. So it's a it's a delight for me to have the opportunity to share his story, and also you know to talk about what it takes to build a strong healthcare system in coastal Mississippi. As I mentioned before, we went to break though. There was um, you know you had you had a board of trustees nonprofit. Um, you had a, a role for the Board of Supervisors to, pl to play. They went through lots of discussion, but at the end of the day, they went through an RFP process. Why don't you kind of take us through that process and then also where we landed? 
Yeah, so, um, you know, obviously, uh, at the beginning of this process, I will tell you that the administration, uh, the Board of Trustees and the Board of Supervisors were all aligned with regards to ultimately what we wanted this to look like um, at the end. And, uh, you know, the Board of Supervisors, uh, you know, with the input from everybody actually, uh, and, and again, this is a, a true testament to, uh, to their leadership, put actually uh, minimum requirements in the RFP process um, at the very beginning. And those are things like making sure that, you know, we uh, kept the service lines that we currently have for Singer River Health System, uh, kept our emergency departments open at, at our campuses um, and making sure that um, you know, the, the mental health spend that we currently um, have in uh, at Singing River Health System maintained at that level or greater. Obviously, mental health is a, uh, you know, big challenge uh, across the country, but certainly right here in coastal Mississippi. So we want to make sure that was intact. Um, but also make sure those employees that we have who are in good standing uh, had a job at the end of this RFP process. And, you know, if any particular point in time, the negotiations between um, FMOL at that um, you know, juncture did not meet those minimum requirements, then the Board of Supervisors could pull out. And that is exactly what happened. And I'll be honest with you, and I've told uh, the supervisors this many times, I could not have been more pleased ultimately, um, you know, with uh, the ultimate outcome. Because again, those minimum requirements were so important to all of us. And again, we were aligned on those. And when the negotiations, you know, again, mergers and acquisitions um, out after the, the pandemics kind of started slowing down. So, you know, it wasn't any surprise that there were, you know, some, uh, I guess, some changes that FMO well wanted to put in. Again, they're a great system, don't get me wrong. But again, just uh, times had changed, financial situations changed for them, and it ultimately was not in their uh, you know, best interest unless they could get these things in there that, that, that ultimately allowed the uh, those minimum requirements to not be met. So could not have been more pleased with it. And you know, all along throughout the RFP process, we have maintained since the beginning that we were going to operate like we were going to be independent and we were not going to be bought. And so I think that mindset from everybody on the team helped us, uh, you know, go through that RFP process uh, pretty much, you know, uh, unharmed and, you know, in a better position, actually, from a financial standpoint. So so what happens now, Lauren? You, do, do, you, do you consider strategic alternatives going forward or what's, what's the thinking? Yeah, we're, so we'll always be looking at opportunities to partner with other health systems, uh, you know, uh, again, maybe not necessarily in a, you know, uh, you know, RFP format. I, I don't think that's in our future anytime soon. Again, we are in a better financial situation because of the entire team here at Singing River uh, from the front line up to the middle managers. Again, they, they do an outstanding job and we are in a good position right now. But look, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, all we need to do is continue to execute on our strategy and let everything else fall where it, where it may. Um, but again, we are in a good position because we have maintained that mindset ever since the beginning of this RFP process. Well, um, you went into the you went into the process strong. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, you and the process, as you pointed out, sometimes it does enlighten you. It makes you smarter. Well, hell, it makes you a lot smarter, actually, because you do a lot of current process analysis and you're looking for, you know, how does the transition look and how does the fit look and all these things that are part of it. And, 
you know, to come out of the other side of it and still thinking that you can stand alone. You don't have to necessarily at this point in the juncture because you, you're not closing future doors. You never know what's going to happen. Have to seek strategic alternatives that you can continue down the road and stay focused on your strategic plan and building a quality health care system for coastal Mississippi. That's a pretty good place to be. It is. And, uh, you know, like I said, I, I, the having a team in place, uh, my executive team's got over 270 years of experience at Singing River alone. Uh, and when you have that type of experience, it's certainly uh, absolutely invaluable when you're navigating, you know, uh, RFPs, cyber attacks, or just day-to-day healthcare initiatives. And, you know, again, the frontline managers and the entire team, that, that's what's driving all this. I just happen to be, uh, you know, sitting uh, in my position at the time, but they're actually the ones doing all the work. Well, okay. So uh, you had responsibilities early on in your career about expansion of cardiology, but that's still that and uh, orthopedic services are still very much on your radar screen to, to get stronger. What What's going on there? Yeah, so uh, you know, just to just to clarify, I man, we've got four pillars on our strategy. Quality will always be number one. We we've got to maintain that, and that's got to be at the forefront. Uh, the the next one is efficiency, making sure you know we've got selected uh, you know our our payer mix. We have sixty five percent that is fixed payments, uh, so we got to be as efficient as possible. Seventeen percent that come through our emergency department have no form of insurance, so we got to be as efficient as possible. Uh, growth is clearly one of those, and orthopedics. Cardiology, uh, we've just opened up a um, uh, a brand new uh, cardiology clinic in Gulfport at the MOB that's right adjacent to Singing River Gulfport uh, with Dr. Han, Dr. Cunningham, Majerus, Aga, and uh, again, growing volumes uh, in that location. We also have Dr. Myers uh, Clinic in Ocean Springs from an orthopedic standpoint. Uh, again, continuing to grow. We're actually recruiting another orthopedic surgeon to join Dr. Myers in that location. So again, a lot of great, great things. But again, the, the, the secret to the growth uh, in healthcare is making sure that there is a return on investment uh, when you're doing that. And the last pillar, I just have to mention this, Ricky, is, you know, is people. You know, we've got to make sure that we are retaining the best of the best, recruiting the best of the best, because you can have all of the latest, greatest in technology. If you don't have the people to operate it, you're not going to be there. So that's our, our mission there is to continue to focus on our strategy. Well, you know, we talked a bit about this before the pandemic, and that is that certain sectors of healthcare were already facing shortages, you know, whether it be nurses or whatever. Certainly the, the pandemic really brought that into like stark focus. And then the whole notion around traveling professionals, nurses and others became part of the conversation. But, you know, I, again, you mentioned healthcare. Healthcare, probably one of the biggest deficits we have is in the healthcare sector. Now, with, with, in conversations with Angel Myers McElrath, the DEA, DA in your area, she said that, you know, just about every case they deal with has some kind of mental health. Um, issue associated with it, and they can't get the care that they need. So it's got to be a big priority for you guys. It is, and you know, as as you pointed out, um, uh, the uh, the pandemic did not cause uh, the labor shortage. All it did was exacerbate and you know, kind of uh, put it in fast forward a little bit. So you know, we still have. Uh, you know, shortages across our system at, you know, uh, just about every, uh, you know, position level. But, you know, we realize that, 
uh, you know, coming out of the pandemic pretty early on. And, you know, thankfully, uh, we were able to get some grant funding funding from our uh, coastal delegation to help, help us build a um, workforce academy. Um, and uh, we've actually got the building that's uh, going vertical over in Ocean Springs. Um, uh, had the opportunity to share that with some of the coastal delegation to show them where their their money is going to. But the education of that, uh, you know, Ricky's already started. We've uh, we've implemented it um, a little, little over a year ago, and we've already had uh, numerous graduates um, from from the program. Um, and the the ability to have them earn a living while they are learning has been a game changer. I mean, we, we've had techs come out. Uh, we have CNAs that have graduated from the program. Uh, we've actually recently had uh, 13 LPNs. That was our first cohort of LPNs in partnership with the Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. And we had a 100% pass rate uh, from uh, from the nursing program. And uh, I had the opportunity, uh, Ricky, to speak to uh, one of those nurses and literally, you know, had uh, had tears in her eyes explaining how she would have never had uh, the opportunity to do this if uh, she wasn't able to, you know, earn a living for her family while she better her her education and ultimately improved uh, the life for her family. So it's a win win for everybody involved. I, I, I can't help but think about this while you're talking that uh, you're a chip off the old block because I think about the work that your dad focused on and not only as CEO of Ingalls, but then later around this need to do workforce development. And I think Mississippi as a general rule has really embraced that. I mean, you think, I think about Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College, over 50% of the students at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College today are in non-traditional education. What a great step in the right direction by all of us, the legislature, the leadership of our state, um, you guys as as not only state, significant stakeholders in this conversation, focused on doing everything we can to direct people in this community toward the kind of careers that they can hit the ground running with really good, really good salaries and, and make a difference in this community. It's great to see. Hey, when we come back on the other side, we'll continue our conversation with Lauren St. Pay. Talk Mississippi Media Production.